0: Welcome to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts. I'm your host, Doug Peters. Along with me today from the Zamboni company is Marty Elliott. Today we're going to be chatting with Graham Rustan, the executive chairman and publisher of Rustan Media Limited. You might know it uh, more popular as the hockey news. Welcome, Graham. It's great to have you online with us today.
1: Doug, it's a pleasure to be with you. And I thought we were going to be talking about the curling news, which I also, you know, I also own the curling news, but I guess I guess uh, we can talk about the hockey news, I guess, if anybody knows what that is.
0: Cur- curling is uh, is way up there with me, with my relationship with Jedi, so I'm, I'm very happy to chat about that as well if you want to throw in, uh, hurry hard, uh, the stone's <laughs> a little light, uh, don't go across the hogs line. I- I'm not quite uh, Canadian enough to understand all the terminology, but uh, maybe Marty can help me out. Graham... Um, could you please tell us how did you get into the business that you're currently involved in? Cause I know you've got a great hockey background, but how did you uh, end up owning the hockey news?
1: Well, Doug, you know, we've, you know, I've known each other for, I think 30 years now. And, um, uh, it all starts back when I moved from uh, Montreal, I jumped on a I got a, I won a visa to go to the United States and got my green card through a, through a lottery in 1987. But I, um, I headed straight to San Jose, California, the Bay Area, because I I owned an ice cream parlor in Montreal when I was in university, and Sandy O'Neill was one of my employees, and her father was Brian O'Neill of the NHL at the time when it was headquartered in Montreal. And uh, he had told me when he came to pick up Sandy one night that uh, the NHL wanted to get a franchise back in the the Bay Area. That's what they wanted to do. So I hightailed it out to San Jose, California, one-way ticket, not knowing a soul. And I started, uh, putting, you know, people together to see about buying an NHL franchise for, for, uh, for San Jose. And I got a job at Merrill Lynch. So I was in the financial world. And so obviously I didn't get the franchise in 1988. It was awarded to George Gunn, but that was the beginning of my, um, entry into the United States. And I was, uh, playing actually, uh, pickup at the Dublin ice rink in uh, Dublin, California one night pickup game and being from Montreal. Uh, I was a pretty good hockey player in Montreal. I'm over six foot tall, and I'm not afraid to drop the gloves. Um, So I was uh, better than average, almost uh, usually the second best player on a team type of thing. But when I got to Dublin, California, I skated circles around everybody in Dublin, California, because, well, you know, they're Americans, so I could easily skate circles around them. But there was this one guy who was uh, really good, and, and his name was Ben, and he was a friend of Luke Robitaes, and so he put me in touch with Luke and uh, I started uh my friendship with Luke and my my business career uh, back in 1980 uh, 88
0: 89 wow that's it's interesting you bring up a couple points there one that uh the being a Canadian that you might be better than USA hockey players i'm going to say 1980 and get that in real quick because the the US team <laughs> won, won a gold medal and then being a former minnesotan uh, the, the guns, uh, got the team out there in the Bay area, uh, in exchange for keeping the North stars in Minnesota for just turned out not that many, uh, more years, but uh, a lot of people I've known through, um, my time in the business, uh, from the North stars days where my dad worked, uh, that stayed out uh, in California went out with the guns out there and a great organization. Then you bring up Dublin, which is a rink that's, uh, the Zamboni family's got ties to, as part of East Bay Iceland Corporation, they had uh, Berkeley, Belmont, and Dublin, and I believe they're just down to the the Dublin rank now. um but wow, what,
1: well, what, I I want to be clear, Doug, that when I said uh, I, you know, I, I skated circles around these uh, these Americans out in Dublin, California. Okay, I didn't say uh, Minnesota or Boston or so on and so forth. So these guys were uh, not uh, not East Coast boys. But uh, uh, if I went in Minnesota, I'd be probably um, mid mid range kind of a hockey player back in those days, but uh, you know on the George Gunn thing, I met so when when they awarded it to George because George went to the NHL and said, look, um, you know they own the Cleveland Cavaliers if you remember, and uh, they yep. uh, uh, and Gordon Gunn lived in San Francisco and um, wanted to, wanted the San Jose franchise, so they came. Actually, I got a phone call one day and uh, they said listen you're not going to get the franchise in san jose but would you because i'd put a group together would you like the north stars franchise because george gund and the Gund brothers are going to get the and they're, we're going to you know sell off the um the uh minnesota north stars so the group i had put together was with the northern california a lot of investment bankers a lot of clients of the san jose office of merrill lynch and the decision was no they were really excited about the san jose office but um Uh, and the San Jose Sharks which would you know become the San Jose Sharks but they weren't so crazy about buying a franchise uh, elsewhere so that deal didn't happen.
0: Yeah there was a there'd be a lot of Minnesota fans that would have been happy had Mr. Green uh, not taken that team and moved it down to Dallas so maybe you could have been a savior in Minnesota and Maybe been a third or fourth line guy for the North Stars for a couple of years. Well,
1: that would have been the deal. The deal would have been if I if I do this deal, I'm a I'm fourth line center. I, it had to be written into the deal because why why would I do that deal?
2: There we go, make, player player yeah. owner. I was gonna say, Graham, <laughs> you you'd make Basil McRae look good. I I
1: I think so. I think I yeah. I don't know. I, I think I still got it actually, but no, I don't.
2: I just um, want to hear. I want to hear stories about you dropping the glove in just men's league out in uh, Dublin, California. <laughs> well, <laughs> well what,
1: yeah, no. Well, I was playing one game, and I would literally d- drop the puck, and I I would win every face off because uh, the the talent wasn't so good. Okay, really, and uh, that I was playing against. And um, on one occasion, this one game I was playing in in Dublin, the guy I, I I won the face off so many times in a row. It was, everybody was sort of laughing. Well, he on one drop of the puck. Took the butt end of his stick and shoved it into my face and knocked out a tooth, and and within seconds the blood was everywhere and dro- gloves were dropped and and again I grew up in Montreal and you know anybody growing up playing hockey in Canada or in the Northeast U.S. or something like knows how to fight on the ice you have to otherwise you're, so I mean I could I could I, so I beat this guy up I was so mad because I knew it was going to cost me two grand to fix the tooth. And uh, we got into a fight. Um, I think it was probably my sixth game playing in Dublin. But it's a, it, was a, it was a nice rink. It was a great rink. And um, uh, I ended up uh, spending the first, I think, two years playing out of Dublin.
0: Graham, how has your staff um, had to change during the times that uh, we're being forced to live in these days? And uh, how long do you think that it's going to be the way things are now versus – uh, hopefully, getting back to the way things were before c v hit the countries
1: well, you know when I bought the hockey news uh, I walked in this was a company that um, the previous owners had full intention on just shutting it down and when I saw that there's a here 's a magazine that we all grew up with seventy one years at the time in the making uh, continuous publication and the the, the owners really didn 't have the 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 they'd bought it really. I believe they bought it because they were trying to make a Quebec city bid for an NHL franchise. And when they didn't get the franchise or the, when that was the writing was on the wall, they sort of lost interest in, in really investing in the hockey news. So they, 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 it was for sale. It was like, here, do you want it type of thing? And uh, I took it over. And um, one of the first things I learned, Doug, was that, uh, you know, these are all very creative people. You know, writers are, very creative, Uh, editors are very creative. And this is not a nine to five type of thing. I, I, as I mentioned before, I I worked at Merrill Lynch, I come from the financial side of things. And a lot of financial people work nine to five or actually seven till seven or whatever, but they're very structured in their Monday to Friday and uh, environment. But writers and editors, they, some writers work best when they write at home in the middle of the night, Uh, on weekends. So you really can't uh, tell writers and editors, here's the office, be here between nine and five, here's your lunch break, here's your coffee break. You can't do that. They don't produce that way. So a lot of the staff, when I bought this thing back in uh, January 2018, they were already writing from home. They were already writing from inside arenas, um, in the catwalks, in the media booth. So, So they were already remote to begin with. So there really has been no issue whatsoever with um, where they work, where they're producing their content. And all of them have gone through the strikes, the NHL strikes in, what was it, 0405 season? And In the 90s, there was a strike or a closure. So they're used to adapting um, to writing stories about players, about um, the situation. So it's not like they're reporting on last night's scores. So they're not game-dependent, although, obviously, game situations do come into the storyline, but they focus more on the deep dive. Who is this person? What are they about? How do they fit into the long-term plans of playing hockey? Um, They're very focused on international hockey. So it really hasn't had too much impact on uh, the COVID-19, hasn't had too much impact on how they work, but it has affected, obviously, the content as to What do we talk about? And actually, Doug, since COVID-19, since I closed the office uh, on March 12th when Gary paused the league, that's when I shut the office and the studio down, we've produced actually more content on average than we did previously.
0: Well, and I'll tell you, Graham, you and I had a long conversation back. I'm trying to think when it was, if it was May or it might have been, it had to be back before then. I remember driving uh, in Minnesota and talked about how, and this isn't to blow smoke up your backside, but as a kid, I could remember the Hockey News being a paper, um, and it was a folded paper. And I can remember before you took over the Hockey News and that the size of it was dwindling and the content kept shrinking as far as what was in it and how much of a difference it is You've kept adding to it, and maybe you can touch a little bit better on it than I can about what you've done to increase the size of it when other print publications are either shrinking or going out of business. Well, Doug, the
1: one thing that you and I have had in common—well, there's many things we have in common, Doug—but since I first met you, I can't remember when, 30 years ago, is that uh, we both want to grow the game. Um, You have dedicated your entire career. Uh, at growing the game. And um, I, I wanna, okay, I'm gonna take a, a second or two to blow some smoke up you know, your skirt a little bit, but I've owned a total of 26 ice rinks, owned, managed, operated, whatever you want, different ownership groups uh, in 30 years. I still own, uh, I think, the number one producing sheet of ice in all of the United States. But, um, and over that time, I've owned a lot of zambonis, And during that time, uh, as you know, Doug, I took over ice rinks that were losing money or about to close, uh, and I tried to save a lot of ice rinks. Some I was successful at, some I wasn't, and I ended up having to close it. But every time uh, that uh, 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 you know we had the discussion about a Zamboni um, was needed to have with management, and we we needed to have something repaired, or we needed a used one, or we needed a Can you help us out, Doug? every single time i needed help with an ice rink whether it was in south carolina or in or in fort worth texas or you know or I, I remember tucson arizona i mean wherever i tried to rescue an ice rink uh doug i I was always calling doug and doug would would help me out and you know i always i always thought doug at some point in time you're going to change your phone number you know i i i thought okay this time i'm going to call doug and his phone's going to say it's been disconnected because he's, there's no way he's going to take my call again. But, you know, that's the thing that we have in common. We want to grow the game. And when I you're absolutely right. I've been a subscriber. I've been reading the Hockey News for more than 50 years, more than a half a century myself. And it was newspapers. Then it got into this newsprint magazine format. Then it went magazine with the staples. And in the last 10 years before I bought it, every issue I got seemed to be smaller. Uh, It used to cover hockey, as a matter of fact, on the first uh, masthead of the first newspaper back in October of 1947, the subtitle was Hockey's Weekly uh, International Magazine. And what I noticed prior to previous decade to me owning it, they'd eliminated all international coverage, okay, except for every four years they'd do the Olympics. But they would never cover European hockey. They would never cover Russian hockey. They would never cover minor league hockey or youth hockey. It was always NHL hockey. And so when I bought it, it had shrunk down to 48 pages. And that included advertising or whatever, or very little advertising, but it included. So the first thing I did, um, I got a phone call from Scotty Smith of, from the National from uh, Hockey Canada. And he called me up and he says, Graham, I want to congratulations on buying the NHL news. And I said, no, Scott, it's called the hockey news. And he goes, no, 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 it's, uh, it's the NHL news. And I go, Scotty, it's the hockey news. And he goes, oh, you could have fooled me because the only thing you cover in there is NHL. So, you know, he was making his point that we should be covering Hockey Canada. Uh, and so he was right, so the first thing I did is made the investment, like I always do in all these rinks and all the rink building companies i've owned and everything i 've ever owned in the hockey space, hockey equipment companies like Bauer and everything um, is I invest in the brand so a uh, long way to get to your answer on this question, I immediately went from a minimum page count of from forty eight to eighty four so I added sixty four percent more pages of content. I hired more staff, I hired more freelance writers, and I wanted to make an immediate impact so that everybody that got their issue, uh, the subscribers, they immediately saw the value that, wow, I'm getting a lot more content. And when you give somebody more of what they love, they they actually love it.
0: I, I concur completely. And it's something, as I told you, Uh, in our conversation, that as a hockey fan, and growing up in Minnesota, it was something when I got my hands on a hockey news, uh, it was something that I read from front to back. Um, Now I can say I read it from cover to cover, and you guys are putting out a first class, and I I don't know if there's anybody else out there, uh, I don't think there is, that uh, produces something that's strictly uh, related to the sport of hockey, and you guys now have a tie, I believe, with Sports Illustrated. Maybe you can expand on that a little bit as well.
1: Well, it's to your point, I got a phone call in October of uh, 2019 from uh, out of the blue, uh, actually LinkedIn. I got a, a message through LinkedIn from Ross Levinson from Sports Illustrated and said to me, he says, uh, hey, uh, do you have time for a call? I'm, I mean, sure, I, You know, why not? Sports Illustrated call, sure. So Ross, he gets on the phone and he says, hey, uh, listen, he says, I got to tell you, I'm really impressed with the hockey news. Wow, what a turnaround! I mean, my goodness, it's fantastic. we're a, of course, Hot, sports illustrated subscribes to everything so that they can see what's out there. And he says, um, I'd like to know uh, what's your price. And I said, Well, we charge 39.95 for an annual subscription. He goes, No, 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 no. He says, I, no, no, not the price of a subscription. To sell it, do you, how much? How much do you want for it? And I said, Well, it, it's not for sale. And he, lost says, Is It. Everything's for sale, Graham. What's what's the price? We'd we'd like to buy it. And I said, Let me get this straight. So Sports Illustrated is calling Graham Roost to buy the hockey news. He goes, Yep, what's the price? And I said, It's not for sale. And he goes, Come on, let let's let's meet, let's talk. There's gotta be uh there's gotta be a price. I said, Listen, um, if you've done your research uh about me, I'm all hockey. Twenty four seven, three sixty five. Um I'm never gonna sell the hockey news. I'm, it's never going to be sold. I mean, I am going. I'm going to keep this the day I die. And as a matter of fact, I've bought it through my trust, the Walter Graham Rooston and Trust. And after I'm gone, I'm still in charge of the Hockey News. So it's never, it's never going to be for sale. So we met for coffee and uh, lunch. Actually, we met for lunch in New York uh, in o- October 25th, of 2019, and I met with uh, James Hackman, the 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 CEO and founder of Maven. And um, they did again try to buy it from me. And I said, no way. But they were prepared this time and they offered me a strategic partnership. So we sat down and they made the point to me. And it was a great point that there is no better producer of hockey content in the world than the Hockey News. That the Sports Illustrated Hockey Group, which is a good group, don't get me wrong, but We are the best in the world. So, what we did is we arranged a deal in January 20, uh, January 22nd of 2020. The hockey news began to power the hockey pages at Sports Illustrated. So, if you go to si.com forward slash NHL right now, their hockey page, it says right there, powered by the hockey news. And it's the first time ever that Sports Illustrated has brought in an outside media organization to run part of Sports Illustrated. And so right now, Doug, um, my group, my team runs hockey, not only for our 2 million unique monthly viewers, but for the entire Sports Illustrated platform which covers 36 million global viewers. So everything hockey comes out of here and um, we have that much talent that Sports Illustrated came to us for the content
0: that, that's awesome and i know that uh canadians like to think uh, that hockey everything hockey comes from canada but i think 1993 comes to my mind and i i'm not quite sure would that be all the way almost 30 years ago the last time a canadian team won a stanley cup is that possible
1: really doug is that is that where we're going here? Is that the direction we're going in? <laughs> well, I just it? To
0: try to get uh, a little uh, dig into my buddy up there in the Bradford oh, office. 20,
1: 27 it. minutes in. Twenty-seven minutes in. <laughs> How long did it really? Did it really like? Were you holding on to that for twenty-seven minutes? Did it burn you up for twenty? I see, oh. Doug. Doug and I, you know, we, we well, it is. Let's not do this on the air. Okay,
2: Doug. <laughs> At least but, I know one thing, Graham. There's three people on this call. Two of them played hockey. One didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh,
0: that, that's not true. My claim to fame is I got to skate against Mike Ramsey when he was a senior, when I was a sophomore, and he skated on, the what, the 1980 Olympic team? And that was the USA. And what did they do? They won the gold medal. They, that did as well.
1: yeah, they did that's... win. They did win. They did win. But, you know, Doug, it's tough because now in 1993, speaking of 1993, that's the year I became a U.S. citizen. There so you go. So I'm a – I'm a dual citizen, so you see, I live in Florida. I also live in Canada, and so now, you know, I root for both sides of the border.
0: Well, maybe you're the reason. If that happened in 93, that you became a U.S. citizen, that probably drained all the talent, well, other than Toronto, (laughs) because I think Toronto is, what, the the chant there is 1967. Isn't that what that is, Marty?
1: 67, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I, I don't I don't want to harp on that. But my point is to get into the demographics of your readership. Mr. Mm-hmm. Bettman saw that there was uh, a larger marketplace, at least more more people in the United States. Um maybe not as passionate. Well, I'm not even gonna say maybe. I think the fans of Canada are passionate about their hockey like no other uh, no other country, no other state, maybe Minnesota, maybe New England. But um how is the demographics with regards to your product. Is that something that uh, with the growth of hockey in general in the U.S., have you seen a growth in your subscription down into the States or is it still primarily in Canada?
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it sort of mirrors what's happening with Hockey Canada and USA Hockey. You know, USA Hockey has been growing and growing and getting better and better every single year. And there was a time, as you all know, that if you look back a couple of decades, you know, eighty percent, ninety percent of the NHL players were Canadian, and today, it's uh, it's the American players are, are uh, and, and Europeans, but the American percentages are growing at a faster rate than than, and it's just a matter of time. And if it hasn't happened already, but it's just a matter of time before the largest percentage of uh, NHL players are American. The the investment in U that USA Hockey is making across the board is paying off. Uh, in spades, and it's reflective also directly to our subscriber base. And I'll tell you, for the first time ever in the history of the Hockey News, our readership base now is 40% Canada, 40% U.S., and 20% like Europe and Russia and so on and so forth. It is moving more and more into the U.S. market every single year. Subscriptions and sales are increasing year over year at an amazing rate. So the adaptation of hockey in the United States, it has affected my business and it's just growing every year.
0: That's awesome. And it just shows that the growth of us Americans down here, we finally figured out what the the greatest sport is. And, you know, with the the gold medals that the USA hockey team won in 60 and 80 and the silver in 56, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, Well, I'll tell you, I
1: I knew, listen, I, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back here. I saw this trend happening when I was the chairman of Bauer from 2008 to 2012, I saw the trend starting. And after I left Bauer, one of the first acquisitions I did was of Christian hockey. I bought Christian hockey in I think 2016. And I now own of course, Forceball hockey and Northland hockey, another American brand. And so I'm putting out, like if you go to Walmart, now, walmart.com or or walmart.com, Christian hockey sticks are now on the website and I make all the Christian hockey sticks and the sales of Christian hockey sticks are like literally 90% USA, obviously, then 10% in Canada because, well, it's an American brand. But I knew, I saw the trends developing back in uh, my Bauer days and authenticity of brand is really important for kids, kids and people. And the only true, as you know, the only true authentic u s a hockey manufacturing brand hockey stick brand is is christian and and um I bought it
0: well, and they're a great brand with ties to Minnesota. I'm very fortunate to have uh, met and sold product to Billy Christian when he was more actively involved in war Road hockey. I think he spends a good part of his time now down in Florida, but He still spends time up in northern Minnesota, and his son, Dave, played on the 1980 Olympic team, and now his grandson, Brock Nelson, who I think is uh, a great player. He was the final pick of the first round a few years back when the draft was held in L.A., and I I think Billy was out here for that, but he's now playing for the Islanders, very rock-solid center, and uh, just a, a great kid to watch succeed in the NHL.
1: Yeah, I agree. I sent he was he had a golf tournament last summer, and I sent him a couple of dozen Christian hockey sticks, <laughs> uh, by, by, just a, just out of the blue. I sent it to him, uh, and he was thrilled, obviously, uh, to get Christian hockey sticks um, at this um, at his golf at his uh, fundraiser golf
0: tournament. Well, and maybe you could touch a little bit on that because I know we talked about that in the past. The cost of hockey is quite expensive, and I know it's a passion of yours to try to make it more affordable. Can you tell us what you're doing with that brand of stick to try to help out families so that they can afford to have their kids playing hockey?
1: Well, uh, yeah, you know, that's the key here to everything that we're all talking about here is because the growth of the game is only li- It's not limited by the excitement or the the joy of it. It's limited by the cost. And that's, that's what is limiting the growth and the cost of the game uh, is outpacing inflation by a long shot. And the problem is, um, in, a, there's two areas. There's a problem, as you know, there's the cost of maintaining and operating a refrigerated building or an, an arena, an ice rink. Um, and those costs go up, you know, close to inflation every year. Salaries, utility costs, they're pretty trackable. The big problem is when it comes to equipment. That's the big problem for the cost of participating in this game, and over the years, as you know, and we all know, and i'm, I'm going back to my bower days as Chairman of Bauer, more and more manufacturing has been moved to Asia because of the cost. The cost of manufacturing equipment in North America, United States, or Canada became so expensive that looking for cheaper sources. Um, was the name of the game, and so we included Bauer at the time. Mo- we moved some of our uh, majority of our manufacturing to Asia because the hourly wage of workers was low over there. Uh, we still, when I was chairman, we manufactured hockey sticks in um, in Canada, in Cambridge, Ontario, Hesper, Ontario, at a, and you know we we outsourced it. Now Bauer and CCM uh, do not make their own retail product. Okay, everything, uh, you know, Bauer makes uh, skates for the pro athletes in Quebec, um, and so does CCM. But when it comes to um, sticks and other equipment, especially retail equipment, stuff you find everybody finds in stores, all of that, all of it is made in China by third-party companies. So over the last 10, 15 years, the cost of labor in Asia and China has increased cost of transporting equipment and um, shipments from Asia to North America has increased. Uh, Tariffs, which is a big thing nowadays, uh, have been put on all kinds of goods. So the cost of anything coming out of Asia um, has only risen exponentially, and it's just caused a shockwave to take place in equipment prices. Um, Secondly, the cost um, what, what Bauer and CCM done, have done, the first time in the history of our game, Bauer and CCM are owned by private equity firms. Okay. Now, in the past, as you know, Bauer was owned by Nike and CCM was owned by Adidas or Adidas. And so therefore, and when I bought Bauer with a part, private equity firm, CCM was owned by Adidas. And Adidas was very rigid about raising prices. They wouldn't raise prices you know, more than 2 or 3%. They were very, very religious about not raising prices because, of course, they wanted to grow the game. So we all at Bauer had to keep in line with those pricing, that pricing. But in today's world, both CCM and Bauer are owned by private equity firms, and what they need to do is make a lot of money. That's what they need to do. And there's no check in place. There's no uh, Nike on one side or Adidas on the other side to keep the other one honest. And um, so, therefore being that you have two private equity firms controlling 90% of the hockey equipment market in the world. Well, when one raises 10%, the other one raises a price 10%. When one raises 15%, when the other one raises 15%. So there's nobody keeping the other guy in check. The prices are going up and they come out with sticks that are now costing $440 at retail. Um, and they're making a a bundle of money on these sticks uh, the the you know i mean it's just it's it's ludicrous so when i saw that that this was just a cash grab that was going on by Bauer and CCM i decided to buy the man, the uh, the factory uh in Cambridge Ontario that makes hockey sticks and as uh, i own Christian the brand and what i decided was to uh, make sticks and uh, sell sticks directly to consumers and uh, through retailers, but because I own the brand and I own the manufacturing plant, uh, I don't have to, uh, there's no middleman involved. Like right now, Bauer picks up the phone, they call Asia and they call a company in Asia, make me a, you know, so many sticks. And then uh, this company in Asia charges Bauer and then Bauer slaps their name on the stick and then they send it to a retailer who slaps a Uh, another margin on it, and by the time the retailer, by the time the retail customer gets it, the price is out of of whack. So uh, I've cut out the middleman and I now make the sticks, I own the brand, I advertise the sticks in the hockey news, and so therefore I've eliminated all kinds of layers of cost. And now if you go to my site, christianhockey.com, and you look at a a stick there, it is substantially cheaper than where you can get a similar stick uh, in retail.
0: Marty, I think you had something you wanted to ask uh, if you want to jump in
2: here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Doug. Graham, curious because uh, I'm born and raised in London. Uh, Vaughn Hockey still manufactures out on Highbury Ave. And I don't believe they've, uh, I don't believe the uh, the family's moved anything over to Asia unless uh, you know uh, something. But I believe they still manufacture all their goalie equipment back in London, do they not?
1: Yeah, so. Companies like Bond are really uh, phenomenal in that they are custom makers, okay? So, the, the major, if I understand correctly, the majority of their product is made still in London. It uh, is. It is, yeah. They, mm-hmm. they may have a product line uh, that comes out of Asia for retail, but I doubt it. I doubt it, I've heard that, that They were looking at doing that at one point in time, but, you know, Mike Vaughn is, you know, Mike Vaughn is a a visionary, a leader, uh, a guy who um, is so protective of his brand, um, and he is keeping the costs low, uh, as low as possible, but, you know, goalies and the goalie business, like, for example, Lefebvre out of uh, Quebec, they used to make all the custom equipment for CCM, no longer. CCM gets their stuff now to China. But Lefebvre is now still serving goalies uh, one by one, because goalies are a unique. You know, most goalies don't go to retail and buy a pair of pads um, off the rack. They, they, they want custom equipment. So, and it's a small market, it's a small share. Um, but uh, you're right, I think, think there's still all 100% Uh, manufactured in the London and Southwestern Ontario uh,
2: area. Yeah. Oh, Canada. Nice. (laughs) Back to you, Doug. Uh,
0: Earlier, uh, Graham, you mentioned uh, how you have a connection to Luke. He was a uh, previous guest on one of our podcasts. We had a lot of fun. Um, Maybe you could expand a little bit and just uh, tell us um, your past history or a story or two that... Uh, won't have to have the Zamboni horn uh, come out and bleep out something.
1: Oh, no, yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you, uh, when, I, when I was playing up in Dublin and I met up uh, Ben, his name was Ben Robert, and, uh, actually a great hockey player, a great hockey player, uh, and one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. Um, and actually, Ben Robert ended up running the um, – project uh, in Quebec City for the new arena as well. But um, he worked with AEG. But he introduced me to Luke and uh, down in Los Angeles. And I actually moved from San Jose to Los Angeles and worked um, at a Wall Street investment banking firm um, in in Beverly Hills, California, uh, back in 1990. And uh, I met Luke. And um, Luke uh, invited me into his home to live with him, to stay there while I was like, until I had my own place and stuff like that. Like, and it was me and it was three of us living in those well, at the time, at the time it was three of us. There was uh, Luke Kirby type of course it was his house in Sherman Oaks. And I was occupying one room and the other room was uh Pat Brisson, who uh, was at the time, uh, one of his line mates from uh, the Hall Olympics hockey team when he was playing a junior. And uh, Pat was a Pat fun guy. Pat, great guy, fun guy, nice guy, whatever, you know, you, you can't, you can't do better than a friend of like having a friend like Pat Risson. And Pat uh, was at the time washing cars at a car wash and doing a number of different jobs and just, you know, totally into every doing whatever he could do to do whatever, you know, he was just always doing something. But anyways, you know, here, you know, years later, and now he's the president of CAA, sports, the hockey division. He's the number one agent in the world. He's the agent for Sidney Crosby, uh, Jonathan Tays. I mean, he's just, he's the number one agent in the world. And I know he's the number one agent in the world because the Hockey News ranked him as the number one Hockey uh, Agent in the world. So he must be number one if the Hockey News ranked him number one. Um, But uh, Luke uh, invited me into his home and I'll give you an example. One night we're all going out uh, after our game to a club, uh, cause that's what we did. And, um, I didn't, uh, he looked at me and he goes, uh, you were, we're on the driveway. We were in the driveway leaving. And, um, he says, uh, you wearing that shirt? And I go, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Why? And he goes, uh, well, you know, I, it's, we're going to a really, you know, this club and, you know, <clears throat> you know, and, and Luke had great taste, you know, great, you know, great taste. And I said, yeah, this, uh, just not. no, he says, I'm here wear this. And he started taking his shirt off. He took his shirt off and gave me his shirt. And, and I said, why did he say, i wear this. I'll go get another one. And he runs in the house and he literally runs in the house, comes out with another shirt on. He says, let's go, let's go. So the two of us get in the the Jeep and we're driving to the club and stuff like that. And uh, he says, you look good in that shirt, man. You look good. And all night long, all night long, we're out there and we're talking to people. And he says, one night, one time he walks by me and he goes, you're the best looking guy in the place because of that shirt. You know, and so, uh, at the end of the night, go home and you know give him back his shirt, and he goes no no it's 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 yours, it's yours it's a gift, it's yours and to this day, I tell people that he is the one guy that will actually give you the shirt off his
0: back okay <laughs> that's that's too funny
1: no that, that that expression that we've all used, and we've all heard, okay. That sums up Luke Ravitae. Luke will do anything for any one of his friends or any stranger at any time. He will give, give, give. He he used to get calls to appear here or at a birthday party or at a, at a hospital because of a kid who's a fan of his is sick. This guy was never turning down. Anything. Whereas I've seen a lot of NHL players have big demands on their times, just like Luke did. But Luke was constantly, constantly doing these things by giving back. And, and one last story. This is a story that I heard from a guy who bought a Mustang car. Luke had some cars. He sold his Mustang car to this guy, and this guy was telling me the story. He says, "Yeah, he says I I bought my Mustang car from Luke and back in 1992 or whatever." And I said, oh, really? He says, yeah. And he says, um, I was a struggling student and I didn't have any money. And I, so I went and I, I bought this car. And then when I go to buy the car, it, it actually was Luke Rubitai's car. And I said, oh, really? He says, and Luke wanted uh, $800 for the car because it was kind of an old car. And, and so the guy said, uh, you know, okay, yeah, I can I can get you $800. I'll get it. And then Luke, this is, the, this is a story from this guy that I met once. He said to me, he says, well, Luke asked him, you know, about himself. And the guy says, well, yeah, I'm in school and I'm trying to do this and I'm trying to do that. And I'm trying to move on. Luke said, you know what? Here, car is for you for free. He gave it to him for free. So this guy that I met years later told me that Luke gave me his car. But I wasn't surprised by that because this is the Luke Robitaille that I know. And I, I spent the last 30 years knowing this is a man who wakes up every day, loves life, and completely gives back to the community, gives back to his friends, gives back to his family, and uh, he will give you the shirt off his back, and I can attest to that.
0: Well, he's a pretty incredible gentleman and very kind. He gave us time to do a podcast, and uh, when I introduced him, and and I think I might have to trademark this introduction of him, because I said I, I honestly believe is the best 171st overall draft pick in the history of the <laughs> NHL because the guy is still the leading left uh, high scoring left winger in NHL history. And just just an incredible guy. I did get a chuckle out of him like I got a chuckle out of you, Graham. Um, and speaking of podcasts, maybe you can let us know about uh, the podcast that you're uh, venturing into with the hockey news, maybe some of the topics and how we can get involved with uh, doing some of those.
1: Well that's yeah, absolutely you know the hockey news as i mentioned has now been around seventy three years uh, longest continuously published um sports magazine uh, ever and uh it's um got a it's got a very very devout religious following some it's been known as you know if you look up the hockey bible um it's often been referred to as the hockey Bible by a lot of the the um n h uh, l players over the last seven decades. The following is really um, intense. Uh, people that subscribe, we have, we have many, many, we have, we have hundreds and hundreds of subscribers who've been uh, with the magazine for 50 years or more. So that tells you uh, how things are. I'll give you one last stat. The number one reason for cancellation of a subscription to the Hockey News is death. That's the number one cancellation reason for canceling a subscription to Hockey News. My dad died. We need to cancel the subscription.
0: Yeah, So that just just tells you, um, Graham, what kind of a product that uh, you're involved with, and it is truly, you know, and again, I'm not trying to uh, blow smoke up your skirt, um, but it is truly something that uh, is a great product, and I hope that you keep uh, producing it and keep improving it like you have since you've uh, come on board with it?
1: Well, thanks, Doug. You know, I I know I'm a steward. I know I'm a steward of the hockey news for a period of time. You know, this is going to go on way past my life. I'm at 73 years now in publication. It's going to have a 100th anniversary, and I'm probably not going to be around for that 100th anniversary. My job is to make sure to usher it from one generation to the next and make sure that that it's good. But the generation that we all live in now are younger. So they want more digital versions of the, the hockey news. They want more audio and video versions. So we've had to expand into, I, I opened the first ever hockey news studio in downtown Toronto. Uh, so we're right near the Scotiabank Arena. So NHL players could come by, although right now they can't because of COVID-19, but I built a studio and now we have multiple um of our own um, shows on our video network, but also Mike Keenan has his own podcast video show on our network. Rick Vive has his own podcast um, on our uh, on our network. We're constantly adding people um, and companies. And so we we would love for the Zamboni podcast show to be on our network, because one thing I can tell you is that as soon as you're on our network, you now have the access to Two million monthly people that come to our website and uh, and partake in our content. So we're, we want to we want to encourage our readers uh, to continuously consume the content, but in new ways. You know, like you talked about, we, it was originally a newspaper, then it went to a magazine. Now it's video, it's podcast, it's live streaming, but the content remains the highest quality. It's just the platforms that we're investing in and changing over time. And we have to change with the times.
0: That's awesome. I I know we're coming up to uh, an end here. I've got a lot more questions, but I know you've got uh, more important things to do and a phone call to get on shortly, but I don't want to end this without getting into one of my favorite topics. And it's kind of been my catch at the end of the podcast that I've done. I'm a bit of a foodie. And uh, in talking to Luke, when I was uh, driving to South Lake Tahoe, I had just consumed some Italian bread with cheese whiz on it. And in his diet now, he's not doing that, he's a vegan. Um, What would be your go-to places or go-to city and go-to food that you would have? And there's another Montrealer that's down here that the Kings have brought on, Francois Martindale, uh, that's in charge of their ice, that's talked to us about a great location out here in Southern California for Poutine. And I'm hoping I pronounced that right. Maybe you Canadians can no, correct you me. You
1: messed it up. So, no, you messed it up totally, but it's okay. You you know it's poutine. Poutine.
0: I just don't have that uh French <laughs> roll with my tongue, and
2: it's like my <laughs> wife.
0: My my wife can habla español, and I can't roll my tongue to get the Rs to roll off my tongue either.
2: Can so, you say can you say cheese curds, Doug? If you can say cheese curds, cheese. we'll let the poutine go. Okay. Okay whatever you che- called
0: call it che- <laughs> cheese curds are Wisconsin and that's the land of cheese minnesotans i think it's walleye or uh maybe white castle <laughs> hamburgers are, are a delicacy back there but uh maybe you can fill us in graham on, on where you go to and uh, some of your favorite places to to dine
1: well when i'm in la you know when i land in la it's in and out for sure right away i got to go to in and out there's an in and out right near the airport at the end of the runway um and so i got to go there because if i don't go to in and out then It's just not the same experience Um, that, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, Same Bear barbecue, of course, in Montreal, you have to go to, but on back on loop for a second, did he tell you what his game meal was every day before game time? Because I lived with him. Uh, You know what, do you remember? Did he tell you what his game meal was?
0: No, we didn't talk. We talked a little bit about how different it is today uh, for the players with their chefs that they have at the building. Uh, But I don't recall unless he was talking, maybe a candy bar was, what uh, what he might have had
1: no he would take a big bowl of spaghetti and meat sauce and stuff like that and then open up a can of tuna cold tuna and stick it in the middle
0: that does not sound appealing at all to me he talked about a new one that he's got now at a restaurant where it is a vegan chicken parm that he says mm-hmm. tastes almost like chicken and i'm like going why do we want to eat something that tastes like chicken as opposed to eating something that is chicken? It's like impossible meat. I don't understand why anybody wants to eat a plant-based meat product. If it's not meat, it shouldn't be called meat, but that's just meat.
1: I I, I get that. But when you see a guy, you know, take a can of tuna fish and dump it in the middle of, you know, spaghetti and meatballs, um, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it does not look appetizing, but uh, and it didn't look like on his face that he was enjoying it. But that was his feeling that the protein from the tuna and the and the carbs, it was the perfect mixture. But you know you can't. How, how can you? How can you blame his thought process? He is a Hall of Famer. Not only is the all-time left wing best left winger ever in my estimation, but he's by far. And I'll say this: I know a lot of NHL players. He's the nicest NHL player of all time. How about
0: that? I think that's a very accurate statement. And I, I think that maybe I'm going to change my diet to spaghetti <laughs> and tuna fish and see if I can score just a, a couple of goals in the show. <laughs> I, you keep shaking your head there, Marty. I know that uh, that uh, that's not possible at my age. Graham, I, I want to go ahead, Marty. I'm sorry. No,
2: I, I'm just waiting for the actual intramural, in, intramural Zamboni hockey game, because I know you will not be on my team.
0: I can hook and slash with the best of them. Get a few lessons from the Hanson brothers. Graham, I want to thank you for this. And what I would like to ask is I've got so many more questions for you that I'd love for you to come back to do another one. If you wouldn't mind, maybe when uh, the season is wrapped up and the Stanley Cup is given to another US based team. Uh, come October,
1: <laughs> well, I'll be there with my stars and stripes, man i'm going to be there. I'm a dual citizen don't don't you can't go down that road with me anymore, Doug. You used to be able to <laughs> not since nineteen ninety three but doug listen I'd love to come back, love to talk hockey. Uh, again, thank you for your thirty year friendship you've You've bailed me out of so many t- tough situations with equipment you've always uh, and you everybody at Zamboni have been phenomenal. Uh, over the past 30 years. Um, but uh, thanks for your friendship. And uh, anytime you need anything from the Hockey News or from me, just reach out.
0: Graham, thank you very much. I do treasure the time that uh, I've known you. And I've been blessed to see you again last year at the awards in Vegas. And I look forward to when that can happen again. We want thank to you. thank everyone for listening in to another episode of Ask the Zamboni Experts podcast. Do you have a question for one of our experts or an idea for a future episode, Please email your questions or requests to info at zamboni.com. For more info and additional podcast episodes, please visit Zamboni.com forward slash podcasts or search Ask the Zamboni Experts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. This is Doug Peters and speaking for Marty Elliott, wishing you an nice day.